I watched that a bunch of times. Each time I caught something new, cracks me up, and there's so much truth in it. Great stuff. Hey, check out what James wrote in the first chapter of his letter to the Jesus followers in the first century and in the 21st century. James writes, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone, and the Greek word for anyone means anyone, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He makes no changes. He makes no adjustments. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, whoever looks intently to God's word that gives freedom and continues in it, not a one-time thing, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they'll be blessed and what they do. Uh, What a promise. Brothers and sisters, for five weeks, we've been looking in the mirror and seeing what God's word says about the family. We've been seeing what God's desires and and God's hopes and God's plans and God's intent for our family. We've held our family up to the image God presents. And God is wanting us to, to make some changes, to make some adjustments. Uh, this week, many of us, and our faith comes from hearing, it's our Bible reading program, and, and uh, we read Proverbs 4, at least I did yesterday. I thought, man, that's really some good stuff. My child, pay attention to what I say, listen carefully to my words, and in our context, the last several weeks, words about the family. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. For they bring life to those who find them. Let God's word about the family penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Uh, the day is week six in our message series, Family Matters. And now one thing I, I, I'm learning in the series is that It's totally impossible for me to say everything I want to say about the family, everything I should say about the family. The topic is so huge, right? I mean, we could do a a whole series on marriage. We could do a a whole series on parenting. We could do a whole series on, on being single and handling conflict in a godly way. And so my goal each week has been to say a few things about each of those areas. Things that if we embrace, if we live out, if we pay attention to, if we don't lose sight of, if we allow them to penetrate deep into our hearts, they will bring life and healing to our family. They will set our family on a course that will enable God to bless us. Each week since April 23rd, God's Double A word, alive and active word, has poured down powerful truths on us. Truths that God intends makes a difference in our family. Week one, we answer a question, where do we begin? We begin with God and with what God's word says about the family. When it comes to your family, God is the ultimate authority. And we also begin with this concept of mutual submission, the attitude of, hey, I'm in this family for the other members of my family, right? I'm in this for you. I'm not in it for me. I'm in it for you. What can I do to help? And then in week two, we talked about ingredients, seven ingredients that if you will put them into your family, they're going to work. They're going to have a positive impact in your family guaranteed. 
Week three, we met Samson's family, and, and Samson's family taught us some of the do's and don'ts of, of a single person finding their soulmate. And that week, we also lifted up the high value that God places on singleness as something that is good. Singleness is a gift, and singleness can display the gospel of God in a very powerful way. In week four, Hannah, a godly mom, taught us about faith and commitment and about praying in the midst of very real problems, praying a, a desperate prayer to God, and then exploding in praise because we're trusting in God's provision. And last week, Jacob's family, specifically Leah, taught us about five things that lead to disappointment in our marriage and then what we can do about it. And this morning, we're going to meet another biblical family, Eli's family, and they're going to teach us some stuff about parenting. Three quick things, then we're going to dive in. Number one, this message is relevant to anyone who is a parent, one day like to be a parent, has a parent, or knows a parent. And it's apparent to me that that applies to everybody in this room who's alive. Uh, Number two, though, times, it gets tough. I love being a parent. And, And I've been in the trenches of parenthood since March of 1984, 33 plus years. I have five kids, and my youngest, Gentile, won't turn 18 till the year 2023, so that is four decades at least, who knows what's in the future for us, but four decades with a child in my home. And here, here they are, here's a picture of them, middle there, that's my son, John, his wife, Hannah, and my grandson, Michael Miles Malone, and here's my daughter, Chelsea, her husband, Justin, and, and Zev, and Micaiah, and Asher, and Kana there at Mickey's World, here's Leela with a coffee cup with her name spelled wrong. <laughs> L-E-I-L-A. I know how to spell it, all right? Here, here's a picture of May Lee having a little, uh, a little bagel right there and a picture of Gentile had a good day on the Red Sox that day. That's, that's, that's my gang right there. And uh, they get abused a lot, but they're awesome. Um, not by me. Well, anyhow, <laughs> that, that sounded bad, didn't it? Uh, forget I said that. Anyhow. Back to the sermon. Hey, hey, um, we're going to pray, and I'm going to encourage you guys to really pray for your heart and mind to be open. Um, God's word is true, and God's word is powerful, and that you'll let it penetrate deep into your heart about the family. He's going to say some things, and, and when we receive God's word and live it out, it, it, it brings hope, it brings healing. And so I'm going to encourage you, and sometimes we pray palms open around here, just kind of a, a symbolic way of saying, God, you're going you're gonna to say some stuff, and some of the stuff is going to be pleasing and pleasant. Some of it's going to be ouch, you know, but it's, if it's from you, ouch is good, and, and I want to take it into my life. And the Bible says that he who has ears will hear, and I, I pray that God finds a lot of ears in this room that are ready to receive from him. Uh, Father God, we stand in all of who you are. And God, we look throughout Scripture, and you did so many things. And you did so many things in the lives of families who were sometimes messed up. And God, as we sang early, I pray that you would do it again. And God, we know that the King is among us. And God, we know that your glory, God, that it surrounds us. And, and God, we as parents, Lord, some of us are, are doing great, and we're feeling pretty good. And some of us are like treading water, and we feel like we're about to go under. But God, you have something to say to each of us, including the guy standing up here talking. And God, I pray for open hearts, open minds. I pray for fertile soil. And God, 
I know how much, God, you want us to take your truth and pay attention, to let it penetrate, to live it out so that you can bless us as we live and do it. So help us, God, to be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Family Matters, week six, Eli's family, when parenting gets tough. Now, we find this family story in the book of 1 Samuel, chapters 2 through 4. The head of the family is Eli, and he's, Eli was a high priest. Um, he served in the tabernacle, and the tabernacle was set up just like the temple. You had the most holy place, and then you had the holy of holies where God's presence dwelt. Um, but it was a tent, so it was portable, and God's people have been worshiping at the tabernacle for 400 plus years since the time of Moses. And not only was Eli high priest, but he was also a dad. And he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And they worked with their dad as priest at the temple. And yeah, with those new two names, I guarantee any road trip they took, no gas station had their name on a keychain, right? I mean, we've been looking for Gentile, Meili, haven't found it, right? Neither did Hophni and Phinehas on their uh, road trips. And here's what scripture says about Eli's two sons. 1 Samuel 2, verse 12. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. And right after that, the Bible gives an example of their wickedness. You see, the Mosaic law was very specific about the portions of the sacrifice that the priests were permitted to take for themselves. It was kind of part of their pay. But Hophni and Phinehas continually violated God's law. They would send their servant in, and the servant would go in and get the best part of the offering even before the Lord was given his share. And whenever anyone said, hey, you know what, this isn't right, that's not what God wants, they were threatened with violence from Hophni and Phinehas. And then we read in verse 17, the sin of the young man were very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Understand, these guys thought nothing of disobeying God. They did whatever they, they wanted to do. I, I don't know. Maybe they convinced themselves, as people often do, that the God's okay. The God's okay when people do not put him first in their life. And the God's okay when people don't put God first in their resources and finances. And then things go from bad to worse for this parent. I mean, look at the regression. Now, Eli was very old heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the temple meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear all the people, I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it's not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. I mean, they were supposed to be spiritual leaders, and yet they're committing sexual morality with women who serve beside them in ministry. At least three times, Eli, he's warned about the behavior of his sons, and every attempt he made to correct them didn't work because his sons did not show him even a hint of respect. And listen, we need to understand that Eli... Uh, was the guy who had both the authority and the responsibility to take care of business. He, at the very least, he should have relieved these guys of their priestly duties. Hey, you know what? You're not serving at a temple anymore. You're dishonoring God. And at the very most, he actually could have taken them outside and had them stoned to death. But Eli says, hey, I'm kind of hearing some bad stuff about you. And that's it. I mean, here's Eli. He's their father. 
He, he is a spiritual leader. He, he is the judge over the nation. And the best he has is, hey, I'm hearing some bad stuff about you kids. That's it. Well, needless to say, God's not pleased with what was going down. And verse 27 says, Now man of God came to Eli and said to him, and I read that, I go, that's kind of sad. That, that God has to send somebody to talk to Eli, the high priest. Because in his disobedience as a parent, he had lost that connection with God and God couldn't really talk to him anymore. And brothers and sisters, sin and disobedience will always do that, right? Your sin and my sin and our disobedience really begins to break that connection with God. Get it? Get it? Good. This is what the Lord says. This is the prophet talking. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? Did I not clearly reveal myself? Now God said, you know who I am. <laughs> you know what kind of God I am. I can't believe you're doing this. Then he goes on. I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to the altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. Also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. In other words, Eli, I chose you. And I gave you a position of honor. And Eli, you get to see things, do things, and experience things that so many people never will. Eli, you have been given so much. So then why do you scorn, ignore, neglect my sacrifice and offerings that I prescribe for my dwelling? Man, you know what I want, Eli. You know what I want the people to bring. Why do you honor your sons more than me? By fattening yourself on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel. Notice God says, why do you? You see, as far as God is concerned, it's not just Hophni and Phinehas that are messing up. It's also Eli who is messing up as a spiritual leader and as a parent. And listen, we see in 1 Samuel that if their earthly father would not intervene, then God would. And so this prophet sent from God reveals to Eli what's about to happen to Eli's family. And it's not pretty. Um, you can read the full story in 1 Samuel chapter 2, 27 and following. The consequences were very extreme. The prophet tells Eli, among many other things, that both of his sons would die on the same day in the same battle. A very strict judgment, punishing the father as well as the sons. And then the prophet left. Then a little later on, God began to speak to Samuel, Hannah's son, and he gave Samuel a message, and Samuel's like, I don't know if I want to tell Eli, my mentor, this message, because it's really not a fun message. Then the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something to Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God. They lived in a way that was against God. And he failed to restrain them. And several years later, it happened just as the Lord said it would happen. And guess what? It always does. It always happens just as God said it happens. And, and, and the day of reckoning came. And if you, if you know the story, you know that not only did his two sons die in the same battle, but Israel lost a great battle. And that battle, the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence that Hophni and, and Phinehas carried into battle was captured by their enemies. And then when Eli back at the tabernacle finds out 
what has happened. Your sons are dead. The ark is captured. Eli falls over and he, he dies. Not a very happy story. And not a very good example of what a family should look like. But neither was Samson's family, right, or Jacob's family. Remember when I said at the beginning, every Old Testament family in the Bible is pretty messed up, right? Pretty messed up. But understand, within their mess upness, I guess the word, mess upness, there are some powerful lessons and truths for us today. In fact, that's why God breathed those words and made sure they were recorded. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to what? To warn us. Who live at the end of the age. That would be to warn us, the church, to warn Jesus followers. If you think you're standing strong, question, you think you're standing strong? You think you're standing strong in your marriage and your parenting, knocking a home run, you know? Be careful not to fall. So what lessons and truths do we learn from Eli's story about parenting? And, I, and what I want to do in our time remaining is unpack four truths about parenting that will provide all the answers and say all that needs to be said in regards to parenting. Not. Can't do that. But hopefully I'll say at least a few things of value. And since our main point of reference is God's word, I think we'll be okay. And so if you are a parent, have a parent, know a parent, would one day like to be a parent? I want you to tune in, and I also want to remind you of this great resource available to every person that attends Maple Grove. It's called Right Now Media. All you got to do is fill out your connection card with your email, and Hannah Yost will send you an email that gives you a link, and you have access to, it's probably like 20,000 different videos. And I just put up here some of the parenting ones. You know, Matt Chandler has one that starts at home, and Matt Chandler, I think, is one of the greatest teachers out there, you know phenomenal teacher free so you know get some of that stuff and listen to it okay the first key to successful parenting is to start earlier start early like when the test comes back positive right understand part of Eli's problem seems to be that he waited too long you see his passive put it off kick the can down the road philosophy had complicated and multiplied the problems and it usually does here's what I figured out you know, wrong behaviors left unchecked do not get better with time. <laughs> wrong behaviors left unchecked do not get better with time. They, they, they just don't. They actually get worse. And therefore, when his rebuke comes, it, it comes when his kids are old. It, it comes when the die has already been cast and they, they weren't going to listen to their dad. They never listened to him before. Why would they listen to him now? They waited too long. A key is to start early. And listen, one of the things we want to be sure to start early with is this. We want to make sure that our kids know that we love them, that we believe in them, that we want the best for them, and that we will be there for them no matter what. Even when they screw up. Even when they do the things that we wish they didn't do. Now, there are four stages that parents must pass through in parenting their kids. In each stage, the success in one stage depends on having success in the preceding stage. And the first stage, at the very root of it all, it's called the discipline stage. It occurs around, you know, from birth to age five. In this stage, the primary goal is to establish our right to rule in the mind of our child. 
Our our child learns that we are in charge and they are not in charge. I call this, my philosophy is the fear of dad is the beginning of knowledge, is the beginning of life in my home. I wanted my kids to fear me, right? Uh, I did. Now this stage, we create clear and very concise boundaries, And in doing so, we're getting our kids to submit to our will so that one day they will submit their wills to God. And a role in this stage is basically to be a commander. And a good thing to keep in mind when it comes to discipline and commanding is that rules without relationship lead to what? Rebellion. You got a bunch of rules and no relationship, you're going to get a bunch of rebellion. Now, God has some things to say about discipline Parents discipline their kids. Proverbs 13, 24. Those who spare the rod, don't discipline their kids, hate their children. But those who love them are careful to discipline them. Let that penetrate deep into your heart. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. And our great example of a dad, God, in Hebrews 12, we read, the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, right? I mean, it's not supposed to be fun, right? You know, it's not supposed to be fun. And don't expect them to say, oh, I'm so glad I'm being punished. They don't have to like it. You just got to do it, right? You know? And I was one of those parents that I always tell my kids, you know, you know some parents say, this is going to hurt you a lot more. This is going to hurt me. I always say, this is not hurting me a bit. <laughs> it doesn't hurt me at all. Matter of fact, a whole lot of me actually likes it, you know? <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm just being real. And my philosophy was no pain, no gain, right? No pain, no gain in parenting. Later on, however, discipline, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You know what? And a lot of homes lack peace because parents, some parents like Eli, they ignored this first stage of discipline. Now, my opinion, I think there's three times where where we should discipline our kids. Number one, when they're dishonest. Boom, right? When they're disrespectful. Do not let your kid disrespect you. Dads, do not let your kids disrespect your wife. Don't let it happen, right? Don't let them really disrespect each other. And and three, when they're disobedient, direct defiance. Not because they forgot something, but they're like, you know what? I know you told me not to do this, and guess what? I'm going to do it anyway. That's direct defiance. It it, it deserves some discipline. The second stage is uh, is the training stage. About age 6 to age 12, and we train them in behaviors and teach alongside of them. And our role is basically, and we're not a commander anymore, we're more of a teacher. And one of the things we want to teach them, according to Scripture, right, and train them is to train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it, right? We're training them, we're teaching them. I remember when my son John, we were, I was in the teaching stage, and we were in Home Depot, and him and his friend, uh, little Ricky, uh, we're in Home Depot, had their own cart, and they were just going crazy up and down aisles, man. I didn't even know it. Finally, I find them. One's in the cart. It's, it's insane. Like, what are you doing? 
I go, oh, it's not a problem. It's okay to do this. I go, really? Like, this is an okay thing to do? I said, well, let's go up to the front desk. I'm going to have them page the manager, and we can find out if it's, like, okay. So they, they page the manager. The manager, come, a home diva comes over. I said, hey, my, my, my son has a question for you. Uh, excuse me, sir. Is it okay for me to put my friend in the cart and run up and down the aisles? And, and to their surprise, it wasn't <laughs> okay. It was a teaching moment. Um, then from ages 13 to 19, parents should be entering the coaching stage. Our kids basically play quarterback, and the parent spends more time on the sidelines in our new role as a coach. But that does not mean we cannot call timeout, right? That does not mean occasionally we may have to pull them from the game and bench them for a quarter, maybe for an entire game, right? But the goal on this stage is to keep giving them more and more responsibility to call their own place on the field of life, which they're ready to do if they pass through the discipline and training stage. And all this leads to the fourth stage where parents should enter uh, the friendship stage. Our kids are adults. They become our friends. In a role, we're not a commander. We're, we're, we're not a teacher. We're not a coach. We're now a consultant, <laughs> You know, and it's a fun phase. I like to consult more than I get asked to be a consultant, all right? I've hit this phase three times so far. But hear me, horrendous problems happen if you skip to this phase too soon. And there's this very real tendency and temptation to do just that. Which is why as parents, we got to make sure that we get to this stage only after passing through the other stage or else things get pretty ugly. For example, Ann Landers, maybe you heard of her. She was a columnist for years ago, passed away, I think, in 2002. But she received a letter from a mom who discovered that her 11-year-old daughter was having sex with her 15-year-old boyfriend. The letter said, although I consider myself open-minded, I have some difficulty with preteen sex. I'm confused about what steps to take, if any. I don't want her to think that I'm old-fashioned. Carrie's now in sixth grade and very independent. I don't want to ruin our good relationship. What do you think? You see what's happening? She's abdicating her responsibility as a parent and just wants to be her kid's friend. And Ann Landers knocks it out of the park. Dear mom, your 11-year-old daughter's having sex and you're reluctant to confront her because you don't want to ruin your relationship? Woman, are you out of your mind? <laughs> to begin with, an 11-year-old should not even be dating. Permitting her to go with a 50-year-old boy strikes me as contributing to the delinquency of a minor. You need to get some counseling, and so does your daughter. You must learn the basics of responsible parenting. Carrie needs to be taught that sexual activity is not only morally wrong, but it is dangerous. Understand, we can do our kids real harm by trying to be their friend when they still need a commander, a teacher, or a coach. Bottom line, we are not their peers. We're their parents. Get it? Good. I remember when I was still in the coaching stage with my oldest daughter, and you know, we allowed our kids to date when they're 16 then. I've moved it up to 60 now. Um, times have changed. And she'd been dating this guy, Noah, for about nine months, and, and it became apparent to me that he wasn't good for her. You know, and I tried to convince her. But I love him. He's an idiot. But I love him. I, I mean, I could give a list. You know, he's a serial killer. But I love him, right? He wasn't a serial killer. Um, and, and so finally, I had, I had to be a parent. Lauren had to be parents. You know what we had to say? It's over. You're done. You're not seeing Noah. You're not dating Noah. It's over. A lot of snotting. 
a lot of blowing, and she did not talk to us for probably four months. I'm not kidding. She was very angry at us, right? But I needed to be a parent. Again, a key to successful parenting is to start early and work through the four stages. And don't get hung up on the ages, right? You know, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not exact science, right? Don't say, well, gosh, you're five, but I need to move on to it. No. But focus on the process. Because each stage builds on the other and leads to maturity. And here's what I've seen. I've seen too many parents show up when their kids are 15 and they put on a commander hat. And they go to work. That boat has done sailed, right? Man, if you don't establish early, I'm dad. I'm mom. I'm the parent. I say jump. You say how high. You put that hat on when they're 15, it's just not going to work. All right? It's just the process. you got to focus on the process. And there'll be some overlap. And different kids are going to go through it differently, right? Because no, no child is the same. Does that make sense? So when it comes to parenting, start early. If you haven't started walking through those stages, you know, start now. If someone has said that the best time to plant a tree is 10 years ago, the second time, best time to plant it is now, right? You know, so start where you are right now. It's never wrong to start doing the right thing, okay? It's never the wrong time to start doing the right thing. No, we can't unscramble the egg, right? But we can maybe go back and make an omelet or something, right? A second key to successful parent is to heed the warning signs. Eli didn't do it. I don't know, I mean, boys will be boys. I don't know what it was. I, I kind of think he knew what was going on, but he didn't know what to do about it. Because he kind of showed up late to this parenting thing. See, when it comes to parenting, we need to heed the warning signs. Understand, if our six-year-old talks back to us, or defiantly says no to us, and refuses to obey, if our 14-year-old daughter says, not doing homework, and says, you know what, I can pick out a bathing suit without input from dad, if our high schooler is, lies about their whereabouts, is caught drinking, or is crossing sexual boundaries, those are serious warning signs that require confrontation, consequences, and compassion. We need to be engaged as parents with their eyes wide open. And we can't become some of these nutty parents I saw on Dr. Phil. I, 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 Dr. Phil is a pretty sharp guy. You know, and... and he has some people, I'm going to like, seriously, you guys must be kidding me. And they're teenagers, you know, maybe like 15, 16. Well, you know, they're going to drink anyway. I'd rather have them drink at home. It's against the law. Are you kidding me? Another one. Well, they're having sex anyway. I'd rather have them have sex in my own house. That is not parenting. In my opinion, that's child abuse. In my opinion, that's parental failure. We need to make parenting a priority. And we're going to make mistakes. I do all the time. And then we make mistakes. We own them, we learn from them, and we move forward. But if we see a warning sign that we should have heeded miles and miles back, pull the car over. Take a deep breath and say, what the heck do I do now? I don't know what to do, God, but help me out. I, I should have done something a long time ago, but God, would you help me out? I, I remember when I, when I missed a warning sign with my son, John, he was about 10 years old, and 
was really acting out and being, you know, being a punk. And, 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 but his mom had just died. And so I, I gave him a pass on it, right? Everybody in church knew about it. I ignored it, you know, and God sent a prophet to me by the name of Laurie. <laughs> and Laurie said, you're not doing John any favors. She says, I did the same thing when I was nine and my, and my um, mom died. You're not doing him any favors. And I go, okay, you're right. It's time to reel John back in. He can't be disrespectful. He can't be acting this way. But, but I missed the warning. So I, was, I ignored it. I, I gave him a pass. I mean, you know, well, he's, he's had it tough. He should be allowed to be. No, you're never allowed to be an idiot. It's imperative to start early. We practice tough discipline and set boundaries and consistently enforce them. And if we don't do that, there's no teeth when we say, hey, you need to do something. You know, there's no teeth in our, in our trying to correct and restrain. But we, we begin with tight boundaries, and as our kids prove themselves, we give them more and more freedom, more and more rope, but we don't give them so much rope so fast that they hang themselves, right? Hey, you prove yourself, now you get more rope. You prove yourself, now you get more rope. You're showing yourself responsible. I understand a passive and permissive parent paves the way for their child to slowly slip off the narrow road. You see, the parent who excuses a child's behavior by saying, well, every five-year-old does that, is the same parent who 10 years later says, well, every 15-year-old goes through that. Every 15-year-old goes through rebellious parents and disrespectful of their parents and does things they're not supposed to do and does things in secret. Well, I don't know, maybe that's true or maybe it's just a cop-out, right? But regardless, we still need to deal with the problems. And I'm with you, parenting is time-consuming. I just got a German Shepherd puppy, you know. I feel like, oh my God, what did I do? She's killing me. You know, it's like, ah, I wish you'd come all ready to go and cool and awesome. It's tough to be a parent. It's frustrating. It can be draining. And it can be one of the greatest joys of our lives. Start early, heed the warning signs. And third, establish a Christ centered home. Eli didn't do it. He says, why do you honor your sons more than me? In other words, Eli, why are your sons the center of your home? <laughs> I kind of think that still happens today, where you have child-centered homes, where everything revolves around the children, all their activities, all their conversations, all the activities, all the planning. We appease them first. Child runs the home. And where parents are afraid to tell little Johnny no because they're afraid of hurting his self-esteem, and so they give him everything he wants, and they're not really helping him. And a lot of well-meaning Christian parents will say, well, Steve, I'm just trying to love my kids. Yeah, I want you. To, I love my kids. Right? But don't let them manipulate you as a parent where they make themselves in charge. I mean, may the, may the Lord never say of me and of you, why did you let your sons and daughters be the center of your home instead of me? Why did you honor them more than you honored me? Jesus said it this way. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Let it penetrate. I'm just saying, if we want to raise God honoring kids, the majority of the work must be done in our homes. Hey, the church, Christian friends, and relatives can help, but the main responsibility rests with the mom or and a dad, hopefully both. Your home is to be the primary spiritual training grounds for your kids with you as our primary spiritual influencers. Now, Maple Grove, we are fortunate to have an awesome children youth ministry to partner with. You know, some of our grads, like Jonathan Richmond and, and Aaron Richards and others, 
you know, got to go through, the first group to go through, you know, six years with Laurie as our youth pastor, and she does an incredible job. She's, she's the best youth pastor, I think, anywhere, any, any place. She's phenomenal. Now she works in children's ministry, you know, and her team, and they can partner with you. And by the way, children's ministry always needs help, right? Always needs more servants down there. But remember, they're there to support you, not do the work for you, right? And every week, if you have a child in children's ministry, you get these little bags, and I got to be real, when my kids were in children's ministry, when they got their old papers came in, you know where they, what happened? That's what happened. I looked in these this week. There's some good stuff in there. It, it reinforces the lesson. The kids learn about determination this week, this month. How to be determined when life is hard. And you could open that up. And I, 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 I'm, I didn't do it. You know, but I encourage you, open up the bag. <laughs> And never lose sight that your kids are gifts from God. He's just loaned them to you. And he's given you the responsibility and the privilege of bringing them up to become healthy, functional adults who love and serve Christ and his church. And that's the main goal of parenthood, and it's always been that way. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is talking about entering the promised land, and, and he says one of the keys to their success in the promised land is parenting. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Mom and dad, make sure you have it because you can't pass on anything that you don't have. Mom and dads, if you're not walking with God, you, you don't expect your kids to, right? You know, it's just not going to happen. You got to have it to give it. Then he says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you go to Target, when you're at the baseball game, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. What you do, bind them on your foreheads, how you think, and write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that everybody knows what kind of family this is, one who loves God. In his book, Honest to God, Bill Hybels reminds parents, nannies, babysitters, daycare workers, and relatives will not give an ultimate account to God on how their children were raised. You will, and I will. And of course, everyone's situation is different. You may be a single parent or have to work two jobs. You, you may be married to an unbeliever who defies Christianity. But you do your best and pursue God and make the most of every opportunity. And then you just watch God multiply your efforts in the lives of your children. Eli neglected to do this. Josh McDowell, a leading uh, speaker to youth culture today and parents, he says this, if you think that you can raise your children the same way your parents raise you and they'll turn out spiritually the way you have, then you are mistaken. He's right, right? It's, it's, the world's different, right? This is a tough one, kids. You know, I'm raising kids 20 decades later than I raised my first, my first group, <laughs> you know, and it's different. Internet, social media, cell phones, it is so different. Listen, if you're a parent, let me say to you as passionately as I can, it's time for us to step up our game. It's time for us to raise our kids in a Christ-centered home. Start early, heed the warning signs, put Christ at the center. And before I hit the last point, I, I just want to share some stuff from my Facebook wall. I put, hey, hey, hey give sermon help. Um, what are some things that help you in your parenting? A guy named Andy Woods, I love Andy. Uh, went to school with him. They have to know you love them. And they have to know that, if necessary, you will kill them. 
And he goes, seriously, love and discipline. Julie, this is my youth group in Florida one time. Uh, uh, love and forgiveness, show them lots of love, love them enough to set boundaries and love them when they mess up, forgive them quickly and ask for forgiveness when you fail as a parent, because we often do, and show them how to forgive others by example and oh, so much more, but you only ask for two. <laughs> Shelly, consistency in everything, bedtime, homework, punishments, and love. Bill, unconditional love, delayed gratification and never getting in trouble for being honest. Uh, Lisa wrote, never... Uh, she wrote, develop a routine of first-time obedience early on and stay consistent. Parenting, using relationships as a guide work best for our family because firmness doesn't equal meanness and compassion doesn't equal permissiveness. Love creates and enforces boundaries that are set for the child, instruction and protection. If they can't count on the parents to be stronger than they are, then who can they count on? And finally, as we wrap up, trusting God's grace. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. See, there's no perfect parents. And if your goal is to be a perfect parent, I hate to burst your bubble, but that's not happening. In fact, the only perfect parent was God the Father. And even with his perfection, look how many of his children are screwed up, right? Or living contrary to the way he wants them to live. And when I say trust in God's grace, I'm not implying use that as a crutch or an excuse or an escape clause, but I'm saying use God's grace as an encouragement, as an encouragement that the Lord has a role he will play in this unfolding drama called parenting. Moms and dads, do the best you can. Step up your game, but realize you're not in this thing alone. Do the best you can. Step up your game, but realize you're not in this thing alone. Realize your kids are God's masterpiece, not yours. And he has dreams and thoughts and plans for them. And they're all good. Moms, dads, trust in his grace for yourself. Because <laughs> you need it. We need it. For your kids, for your family. If your household's going through a tough time, I hope and pray that you feel encouraged this morning. Understand with God, it's never too late. And with God, all things are possible. And listen, no matter how much we may have blown it in the past, it's always the right time to begin doing the right thing. And bottom line, 50 million years from now, it's not going to matter what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you lived in, how much money you made or saved. But how much of Jesus and God you poured into the life of your kids. That's why John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And that's the goal of every Christian parent, to successfully pass the baton of faith so their kids leave home. It's their faith. Uh, a very quick quote by Tim Kimmel, and we're going to be done. Even with the disappointments, however, raising children is still the greatest thing you'll ever do. It's greater than any milestone you'll hit in your career. It dwarfs any fame you'll receive for your ideas or inventions. You've been handed a piece of history in advance, a gracious gift you send to a time you will not see. And you play the biggest role in how that history will ultimately be recorded. That's why in spite of the challenges, you need to have a plan for parenting that works. Good intentions are not enough. Tim Kimmel, grace-based parenting. Moms, dads, start early. You know, move through those parenting stages. Heed the warnings. Establish a Christ-centered home. 
Trust in God's grace. And, and, and I want everybody, every family in this room to know that God, God, like God, <laughs> the great I am, wants to come into your family and be the center. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The one who made the heavens and the earth wants to say, hey, you know what? I'd like to come into your family and be in the center if you let me. And more than that, he wants to come into your life and say, you know what? I, I want to be the center of your life. Not your job, not success, not this, not that. God, the creator of the universe, wants to be the center of your life today. And it's not because you deserve it. It's because of his grace. Would you guys stand and pray with me? God, we love you, and God, we thank you. I gotta pray for every parent in this room. God, you know, we have struggles and difficulties, Lord, and it's not always easy. And God, I pray for that parent who's struggling right now, that they know that with you all things are possible, God. And God, I, I pray areas that we as parents need to repent, that we repent, trust in your grace, and move forward in confidence that you can forgive our past and empower our future. And God, I thank you for the grace that you so richly pour out on us. In Jesus' name, amen.